I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant U, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. I launched Plant Strong Foods with the goal to prove that it's possible to make great tasting foods that are convenient and satisfying without compromising our health. Case in point, our Plant Strong granola is the perfect pantry stable to grab and go when you want a wholesome breakfast or a satisfying, satiating snack. A fresh batch just arrived and is ready to be discovered by you and then delivered straight to your door. And each flavor is dessert-inspired, all-American apple pie, classic oatmeal raisin cookie, crispy berry crumble, and of course, dark chocolate. You can try them by the handful right out of the bag or top your morning oats for a super satisfying crunch. I know you're going to love them as much as I do. Just visit plantstrongfoods.com right now. And one Sunday morning, I'm in the middle of my run. And according to people who saw me, because I don't remember any of this, I was running normally, staggered a couple of steps and hit the ground unconscious. And when they came over to check, my heart was stopped. Hmm. That's how much warning you have of heart disease. It's a disease of the insides of the arteries. You can't see it from the outside. There's no nerve endings in there. You can't feel that you're in, in dire straits. I, I went from thinking I was fine to dead on the street. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, 
and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. I'm going to cut right to the chase today. A whole food, plant-based diet can save your life. It may sound like hyperbole, but it isn't because my guest today is officially living proof of just this. John Tanner was out for a run in 2009. He had a massive heart attack. And if it wasn't for the firefighters and paramedics that got their lickety split and were able to bring him back to life, and subsequently, after a series of invasive procedures, John would not be alive today. This led John to start reading everything that he could get his hands around about the exact causes of heart disease and how to prevent another heart attack. His research, of course, led him to my father's groundbreaking work at the Cleveland Clinic, and he learned what most doctors don't know, which is that heart disease need not exist. And if it does exist, in many cases it can be reversed, and in most cases is preventable in the first place. Now, how do we know all this? Well, <laughs> that's why we're here, and that's why John is here to tell his story and to discuss the remarkable advocacy work that he is doing with his nonprofit, New Psy, and his food delivery company, Little Green Forks. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of the episode when we're going to share a discount code for everyone listening. In the meantime, enjoy this conversation with John Tanner as he shares how a plant-strong diet literally brought him back to life. John, welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. How are you doing? I don't think I've seen you in, uh, in a couple years. It's been a few years. I'm doing great. Um, thanks to what I've learned from you and your family. I'm so pleased to be here. Well, so I want to talk to you about what happened to you on uh, October 11th, 2009, and how it really has informed the last 13 years of your life in a really powerful and passionate and dramatic way. But before we jump into that day and what happened um, and how you pivoted, I'd love to first know a little bit more about you leading up to that moment in time. So tell me this, John, where did you grow up? <laughs> uh, Northeast Iowa, um, Independence, Iowa, a little town of 5,000. Okay. And brothers and sisters? I have one sister, Anne. Um, that's, that's it. Yeah. And uh, you were there until what? When you went away to college? I uh, went to college in Wardburg College in Waverly, Iowa, a small school that a lot of people haven't heard of, a liberal arts school. Then I uh, was fortunate enough to get into Caltech. Uh, in, I came out to California to go there in 1979 and got my master's in electrical engineering, went on to switch departments to the computer science department um, and got my PhD in 1986. And so growing up in Iowa, did you guys eat a particular way? Um, uh, yeah, very unhealthy. Um, we didn't know it at the time, of course. Um, 
when I was very young, we lived on a farm in northern Minnesota, and uh, you know, my we'd uh, kill the chickens and bring them in and eat them, and once a year we'd uh, kill one of the cows and butcher it and eat it, and every day my dad would milk the cow and bring it in, and, and my mom would say, you know, this is good for you, you know, have your milk. Little yeah. did we know. Little, little did we know is right. And are your are your parents still alive today? They aren't. No. Okay. Did they see what's happened to you over the last couple of years or no? Unfortunately, they passed before I was able to share what I've learned with them. I, I sometimes wonder if that could have helped prolong their life, but didn't get that chance. Gotcha. All right. So let's let's dive into October 11th, 2009. Like set the stage for us. Where were you? What were you doing? And what exactly happened? If I could maybe back up for five sure. years before that, yeah. Um, in 2004, you know, my wife turns to me and says, "John, do you know that you have the body of a god?" And we'd been married for 20 years, and she'd never said anything remotely like that to me. So, really, I have a body of a god? She says, "Yes, unfortunately, the god is Buddha." <laughs> <laughs> so, if, if you've seen a statue of Buddha and the the Buddha belly, you know you, this is not a physique to quest after. <laughs> but, but she had a point. I was uh, rounding out in the middle, and so I, I decided I needed to do something about that. So I. I started uh, running, uh, doing other exercises every day. I lost some weight. Um, at my peak, I was uh, 205 pounds. I'm uh, six foot zero. So, um, yeah. Well, all right. I'm really five eleven and three quarters. But you know, I, I like to round up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but at that height, in 205 pounds, body mass index says I I was overweight. But as I started exercising, didn't change my diet, but you know, nobody told me I should, um, but I just started exercise. I did lose some weight, got down to 175 pounds, which puts me in the normal category. You'd say, hey, I'm getting healthier. Mm -hmm. um, I, my uh, blood numbers, I was not tracking at the time, but afterwards I went back into my medical record to find out. My glucose peaked at 111, and you know that that's a mid, sort of mid-range pre-diabetic. My doctor never said anything to me about that. But as I lost weight, it got to, to 104, which is almost normal. So you'd say I'm getting healthier. My cholesterol at its peak was um, at 238, which again, my doctor didn't say anything to me about. But, but as I lost weight, it got to 188. Again, I didn't know this because I wasn't paying any attention. And um, some doctors would think that that's okay, but I, I didn't know. It's certainly better than 238. My LDL, which is one of the prime indicators of heart disease, at its peak was 147. And as I exercised and lost weight, it went down to 113. So again, it's going in the right direction. And you'd say, I'm healthy. I'm running a mile a day. I got my, when I first started in 2004 to run, I got half a block and I, I had to stop. I wheezing, you know, I could just couldn't couldn't run at all. But I finished the mile that first day, mostly walking at in 15 minutes. And over five years, I got my running time down to seven minutes. Are you experiencing? You said you were wheezing. You're not ex experiencing an angina though. Right. No, no, no. Okay. No, no. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just uh, out of shape. <laughs> got it. But, but I got got in shape, and you know, world record time for a mile is three minutes forty three seconds. So at seven minutes, I'm only you know 
twice twice as long as the the world record so you know at 40 something years old that's i thought that oh, was okay. seven minute miles john or that's that's good that's really good so, yeah so i was doing okay no warnings from my doctor so that this sets the stage for five years in a row i'd run this mile and one sunday morning i'm in the middle of my run and according to people who saw me because i don't remember any of this I was running normally, staggered a couple of steps, and hit the ground unconscious. And when they came over to check, my heart was stopped. Mm. That's how much warning you have of heart disease. It's a disease of the insides of the arteries. You can't see it from the outside. There's no nerve endings in there. You can't feel that you're in, in dire straits. I, I went from thinking I was fine to dead on the street. Yeah. Now, I was extremely lucky that survival rate, according to uh, studies at the time, were about uh, about 3%. I read something recently said maybe it's up to 4% now. But, you know, the vast majority of people that have cardiac arrest outside of the hospital are gone. They don't make it to the hospital. They're dead. I was so lucky. Uh, a family that lived a few blocks from me where I ran past them every day, uh, Dan and Jody Hare, they had a son, Mason who his birthday was on this day as his mother's birthday. Also, they had double birthday. And so grandma and grandpa were out from the East Coast to for this double birthday. And grandma saw me go down, called the grandpa who came running out and he started giving me chest compressions. The firemen were there in four minutes. Mm. They, they know that because they looked at my watch when they arrived and it said six minutes. And I was two minutes into my run when I went down. So they're there right away. They had the defibrillator, gave me a shock, uh, started my heart again. Of course, I still had the problem, but, you know, at least it was pumping a little bit. Got me to that hospital that day. They put a stent in. Um, stent is a small metal mesh tube that they insert through a catheter uh, from the inside of my leg. You know, they cut into the femoral artery there and slide this thing into the position in the heart little tiny cylindrical balloon inside that they inflate so that the, the metal mesh jams into the insides of the artery. Uh, I'm a, a curious kind of a guy. And so after this whole thing, I, I asked them if I could get these videos, which they gave to me. And I now put them in my talk. Uh, if anybody wants to go and see my, you know, hour and a half long presentation, they can go to newside.org and uh, sign up for a uh, to see my video. And in, in there, there's this video that has three different clips. One is my heart as I arrived in the hospital and you can see the clog, you know, as they shoot the dye through the blood vessel. Let me just jump in here for a second and say, I, I watched that presentation and the videos that you got of the vessels in your heart, it is really dramatic. And you do a fantastic job of letting everybody understand what's going on with a stent. You show how it basically inflates and then how they remove it. And then you're left with a steel uh, or whatever material that is that's there. So I highly recommend people watch that. And we'll be sure to put that in the show notes. John. Great. Yeah. And, and when I saw that video, I thought this amazing technology saved me because you can see right away the blood flow is restored. Mm-hmm. It's only much later that I found the statistics associated with stent emplacements and much less impressive. And I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But that day, you know, they 
they saved me, I guess. Um, anyway, I, I, I survived, let's put it that way. Not necessarily due to the stint, but I survived. Uh, it was kind of dicey for a while. You know, I would I woke up in the hospital and I said, I saw my wife, you know, honey, where am I? What happened? Oh, you had a heart attack. You're in the hospital. Oh, okay. You know, and I drift off. And a few minutes later, I'd wake up again and say, honey, where am I? What happened? You know, I couldn't remember the conversation from a few minutes before because of this time where my brain didn't have enough oxygen as my heart was stopped. They weren't sure I was going to come back. But after a couple of days, you know, I could uh, remember the conversation from a few minutes before. And only five days, they sent me home. Uh, they said, uh, you know, don't go back to work just yet. So I took another week off from work. But two weeks from dead on the street to back to work, I thought that was pretty good. But they said, don't go back to running just yet because we need to test your heart to see if there was uh, permanent damage. And a lot of the people that survive uh, cardiac arrest, even though that's a small percentage, even smaller percent get by without any brain damage or heart muscle damage or both. I seem to be okay in the brain damage part, although when I forget my anniversary or something like that, oh, honey, it was the heart attack. You know, it's, it's a great excuse as you're getting old. Um, but they needed to do a test on my heart called a perfusion test that involves uh, putting in some radioactivity and getting special imaging and so on. But they came back and they found that my heart muscle didn't have any permanent damage. Yay! Mm -hmm. So I could go back to running. And somewhere along the line, the uh, somebody, uh, one of my doctors said, you know, the seven minutes at your elevated heart rate, that isn't quite enough. It needs to be longer to really get the benefit, uh, the cardiovascular benefits of your exercise. So I started running two miles. Mm. Now, I also, at that time, I started asking my doctors, why did this happen to me? You know, I, I, I had a good life. I, three kids, they're, they're doing great, wife, job, and I almost lost it all. Why? And they, did, they weren't very helpful. They said things like, well, heart disease is the leading killer in this country. What do you expect? Um, uh, you know, it just happens to everybody, you know. To, you know. But I, I asked other people. And eventually, uh, a friend of mine who's a robotics researcher at Carnegie Mellon University and, and reads on the side, he reads Health Sciences magazine. And I was talking to him, and he sent me a copy uh, from in late 2009 uh, Health Sciences magazine that had an article in it by this guy by the name of Caldwell Esselstyn. Uh -huh. have, you, have you heard of this guy? Sounds sound <laughs> like a bit of a joke to me. Oh, <laughs> uh, your dad. Uh, it, the, the title of this magazine article was In Cholesterol Lowering, Moderation Kills. Mm. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he basically said, you know, doctors, if they get the cholesterol below 200, they might think that that's okay. It's not. And I'm going, at that point, I checked my cholesterol and it was 188 before my cardiac arrest. You know, he's right. One, you know, below 200 isn't enough. John, I have read that 30% of heart attacks happen with people that have a, a blood, total blood cholesterol over one, between 180 and 200. Mm -hmm. Levels that most physicians would say, oh yeah, your cholesterol looks great. Right. Yeah. They're, they just... Uh, sadly, our doctors aren't, aren't well informed. Let me, let me let me go back to a sec because I want to I want to ask you a couple of questions. So the blockage that you had in one of your your main coronary arteries, do you know which artery it was? 
Left anterior descending, otherwise known as the Widowmaker. Gotcha, the LAD. And so, and you said that you were able to survive that without any, like, no brain or heart muscle damage. Um, were the doctors able to tell you why that was? Like, were you just lucky or who knows? <laughs> I don't know. I like to think maybe it was just because I was actually in pretty good shape, but, mm -hmm. but, but I'm not sure. Luck. Okay. <laughs> Okay. All right. Let, let's pick up where we left off. Uh, so, so, right. So I, I uh, in that same magazine, there was a review of your dad's book, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. So I immediately got that and read it. And so, you know, within a few weeks of my cardiac arrest, I started learning this stuff, uh, immediately adopted the diet as best I could. It took another couple of weeks to fine tune, you know, to, for me to really understand you know, the no oil part, as well as the, you know, getting rid of all the animal products, but I, I got on that diet. So I thought I was in pretty good shape uh, in terms of, you know, living a long time, perhaps. And is this but 2009 or 2010 that you started it? 2010, well, end of 2009. Okay, okay. Um, October was when I had, yeah. had, had the, and so within a month I was on this diet. So I went back to running two miles a day, increased it, doing fine for a month or so, a month or two. And at about the three-month point, I found that at a, a mile and a half, I, I, some, I felt like something was wrong. It wasn't uh, pain that I would say, um, like muscle pain. It wasn't really chest pain. It was just like something is wrong. I got to quit running. And the next day it was... Uh, a shorter distance, you know, a mile, and then it got to a half a mile, and then a quarter of a mile, and it's like, I got to go in. So I went into the doctor and I described the situation, and they said, "Oh, the stent is failing." Oh, really? What stents fail? Oh, yeah. We don't talk about that much, but you know, twenty to forty percent of the time, the stent fails, and uh, we're we're got to take you in and uh, put another stent in. And um, at at this point, I. Uh, tried reaching your dad. Mm. I'm a complete stranger, uh, you know, uh, thousands of miles away from him. He returned my call and I explained the situation. He said, sorry, John, no amount of diet is going to fix the problem that you have now. The original problem, sorry, that was your fault. You know, you, you ate mm -hmm. meat, meat products, dairy products, and so oil, so on. But now you've got a problem that is due to the scarring of when they jam this stent into the insides of your artery. Now, the, the tissue grows through that, the mesh in that stent, and for a while, that's a good thing. You want the tissue to completely cover over the metal so then your blood won't clot. Immediately after you get a stent, you have to be on blood thinners, mm -hmm. uh, anti-clotting medications, which have their own problems, and I was on those. But uh, you want the, the scarring to happen a little bit, but in... 20 to 40% of the cases, it continues to scar. And so the blood vessel gets smaller and smaller. It's not an instant uh, problem like uh, my original cardiac arrest where the, the, the uh, degraded inside of my artery burst. And, you know, so it wasn't that. It's a slow process. But it was clearly a, a big deal for me because I couldn't even run a quarter of a mile. So... Um, you, you know, your dad was so kind to just call me and explain that, you know, no amount of diet is going to fix this. Sorry, I got to go back under the knife, you know, get get another uh, 
uh, stint. Now he he was so kind. He explained more things. I was telling them that they wanted to put in three stints this time: one inside the first one, a second one in, uh, just downstream of that, because it appeared to them that 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 blood vessel there was starting to uh, contract. And um, your dad said, uh, well, often that's because the restriction uh, upstream of that uh, decreases the pressure. And so it sort of collapses a little bit. And as soon as they open it up, mm. you, it'll, it'll probably open up down below. You won't need the second one. And then they also wanted to put a, 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 another stent in my uh, right uh, coronary artery, completely unrelated to uh, where I the the clog that caused my cardiac arrest is that because you had some narrowing going on there they said that i had some narrowing going on there and they said it had uh, gotten worse in the three months since i you know i first went into the hospital the problem is the first time i went into the hospital in an emergency basis i went into the closest one and then later when i I was having my problems. I had time to go to the one that I was supposed to go to, which is a different hospital. And so your dad explained that uh, they're taking these pictures these of your heart in two different machines, two different people. And so they're comparing uh, small changes from one to the other, and they're concluding that it's getting worse. It's a reasonable conclusion because most people that have heart disease, it's because they eat poorly, they continue to eat poorly, and they continue to get worse. Yeah. But I wasn't getting worse. I was you know, eating well, and I, I should have been getting better. But I was not in a good enough position to uh, advocate for myself. So I uh, went in and they put in three more stents. Now, now the in that solved my short term problem, which was like, I couldn't run even a quarter of a mile. So I, I'm back to running again. So you got the three stents put in what month and what year is that? That would have been January of 2010. So it was only a three, month, three, three months. months. Okay, three. after you got the first stent put in. Yes. So that so that scarring that grew through the, the 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 cage of that stent happened pretty rapidly. Right, and that the, of the 20 to 40 percent that fail with a bare metal stent, that's about the average failure time, three months. Okay. That's why most of the time they put in drug eluting stents which is uh, they coat it with a, a drug that kills cancer, basically. And so the idea is they're uh, killing some of the scarring that happens or they're slowing it down. It still happens. The failure rate for a drug eluding stent is about the same, 20 to 40 percent. Uh, but the failure time is about nine months instead of three months. Did they not have that available when they did your original stent? I have no idea what what cho why that choice was made. It was an emergency yeah. basis. Maybe it was the one in the drawer. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But but the second three uh, that I got were drug eluding stents, and so as the nine month period approaches, you know, I'm biting my nails. I'm carefully keeping my run times because you know that can indicate to me that I'm starting to degrade. But nine months came. I was fine. Mm. Um, Maybe I'll jump way ahead. We'll come back to this time period. But, you know, a year went by, two years, five years, nine years went by, and then it started to fail. So uh, at this point, I, I sought out the, the expert that I felt I had access to, which is Columbus Batiste. Oh, yeah. 
I think you know him. Kaiser Permanente. Kaiser. I was a Kaiser patient. Columbus wasn't the doctor for my locale, but he was close enough to me that I could request him. And I drove out to, to his place. Um, and of course, he, he will tell you uh, time and time again, you know, eat plants, don't eat animal stuff and, you know, avoid these heart problems. But, but he knew, like your dad knows, that the problem that I had was not due to my diet, like the original one way back in 2009. This was caused by the stents. Mm-hmm. And, and so there was no other choice but to do some more stents. I elected to be conscious while he operated on me, which, um, and he, and as he's going along with the camera on the inside of my arteries, he's, of course, at this point, I've been on the, the healthy diet for nine years. And he says, John, your, your arteries are like those of a young man. Ah, you love hearing that, don't you? I love that. Except when he got to where the stents were. And of course, they're they're scarred. And the scar tissue is thick and rubbery. He's describing it to me. You can push it out of the way, but it comes right back. The only way they could even get a stent in there was for him to surgically cut slices in this rubbery scar tissue and then put the stent in and expand it. And were you able to witness that while since you were conscious? Yes. Wow. And, and were you able to feel it at all? Or there's just, there's, you said earlier, there's no nerve endings there, so you can't feel it. Can't feel it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So just, just to let everybody know, you know, Columbus Batiste um, is a cardiologist. He's also a huge proponent of a whole food plant-based diet to address cardiovascular disease. He's been on the podcast. He also was in the Game Changers. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful cardiologist. Love him. Yeah. So, so let me rewind a little bit. So after my first stint and then three months later, three more stints. Um, and, but I'm, I, I got on this path due to your dad's article and then his book. Well, his book mentions uh, another book called the China study by Colin Campbell. So of course I got that and read it. Uh, China study mentions John McDougall. I started following him. Got, he had, uh, emailed newsletters, which I read uh, with a great interest. Yeah. And, and then I um, started uh, reading medical journals, going to conferences, uh, talking to the experts. Uh, uh, let's see. what. Eventually, this movie came out, Forks Over Knives, in, in 2011. And in it, uh, there's this guy, Rip Esselstyn, climbing up the fire pole going, Real men eat plants. Oh, love love that line, Rip. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. But then, you know, where we first met, I, I don't know if you remember this. But, oh, yeah, absolutely. So, somewhere along the line, I uh, had, had found that John McDougall was having this getaway vacation, this plant-based eating vacation in Costa Rica. And somehow I learned that Esselstyn family was going to be there. And so it's like, oh, I got to sign up for this. So I signed up with my wife and my three kids and we went down there and uh, you you remember, you know, we're zip lining during the day, we're rafting. And and then in the evening, John McDougall's giving lectures. It's Mm -hmm. like, this is so awesome. You know, and and by this time I had been telling my family everything I'd learned, you know, I'd I'd come back after reading a book or going to a conference or something. And I'd, I'd be telling them all about this stuff. And for a while they took it in, but after a while, you know, I'm getting eye rolls and it's like, Oh, yeah, 
dad's doing that again, you know? Yeah. And so they, they kind of quit listening to me. But when I was able to get them down and, and listen to John McDougall, a third party, all of a sudden they started really listening. And of my three kids, this and my wife, this really affected them a lot um, to differing degrees. Uh, my, uh, one of my kids still, you know, if he's out with his friends, he's going to eat whatever they're eating. But uh, when he's not, he'll try to eat healthy. And the other two are much more on board, as is my wife. So that was a real changer for our family. And I, I really appreciated that. Of course, your book had come out, I think, 2009 earlier before my heart attack the engine two diet is that the yes. name of it yes um and so i eventually got a hold of that and read that uh, mcdougall's book came out in 2012 the starch solution which was awesome um and and as i learned this stuff i would i share it with my family and, and eventually friends and I started repeating this stuff often enough that I put it into a sort of a presentation that I could print on paper and leave with people. And then I realized that um, it's going to be more efficient if I can talk to a, a room full of people instead of just, mm -hmm. you know, one-on-one. -on -one. Eventually, I organized that into a, um, a nonprofit called the Nutrition Science Foundation. And the mission is to just share everything I can find about, you know, what you should do to live a long and healthy life. And uh, I gave talks locally for the most part. Um, and I, I, there's there's one one key thing that I just want to share with you and your listeners. I, I mean, you know this very well, but um, part, part of it comes back to these stents that I got. I've, I found a study that said, you know, what is the mortality rate of people who get stents versus those who are candidates for stents, but they just don't get a stent. And, and the answer is, according to the study, the death rate goes down by about 3% if you get a stent. In other words, 97% of the people that would die without a stent still die. It, it's almost useless, but yet it's done over and over again. Yeah. Okay, stents. What's better than stents? Well, there's drugs, statin drugs, you know, Lipitor, Zocor, Crestor. If you have high cholesterol, this is what the doctors will recommend for you to, to take. Well, how effective are they? You know, you ask the doctors and they'll make comforting noises like, you know, this is going to save you. Well, it reduces the death rate by about 9%. It's not nothing, but it's not a lot. And there's a bunch of bad side effects, including cognition issues and muscle soreness, liver damage, you know, so, you know, statin drugs aren't the answer. I found a study from the UK that said if you just eat vegetarian, that means you still might eat uh, eggs and milk, dairy, so on, but you just cut meat out, heart disease goes down by 35%. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, three, four times better than the drugs. You know, if the pharmaceutical company had a drug that was that effective, they would make billions of dollars, yeah. but they don't have anything that effective. And that's a vegetarian diet, not even a whole food plant-based diet. Right. And then you look at your dad's research and, you know, the, the, the book is awesome, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease, but it only uh, had 18 patients. Right. And, and people criticized him saying, well, that's not statistically significant. Sorry, I've studied statistics that 
that is absolutely statistically significant what he did with those 18 patients. But he went back and he did another study that involved about 200 patients. And that came out a few years later in a medical journal. And he, he compared a, a group of people that chose not to get on the diet with those who chose to get on the diet. And again, this is a no oil, whole food, plant-based diet. And what he found is the cardiac event rate for those who switched went down by 99%. Plus, I asked him once about this, you know, why isn't it 100%? You know, what, what, what happened there? And he goes, well, there was this one guy who was basically on the diet, but then he went on a long trip and he didn't eat well during that trip and he had a small cardiac event. Okay, so really you could have categorized that as being in the non-compliant group and you could have said the plant-based diet is, gets rid of 100% of heart disease, but he, he didn't do that. Uh, but I like to say 99 plus percent. Well, and, and then to add to that study, yeah, there were about 200 people in this study. Of the 200 people, he actually was calling them up to see four years later, right, how many were still compliant, still following the whole food plant-based diet. Of those 200, 89% were still following it. So basically 11% had dropped off. So let's just call that 20 people. And of those 20 people, 67% uh, over the next four years had some sort of cardiac event. In the compliant group, like as you just said, there was one. So pretty powerful. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. So as I sort of sucked in all this data that uh, other awesome researchers were producing and putting it into my own talks, um, I, I was invited to talk a lot around in the Southern California area where I am. And at one of my talks was a lady by the name of Darla Sherman, who at the time lived in, in Indiana. And she said, there's this conference coming up, the Heartland Health Conference in September of 2013. And I would like you to be a speaker there. Let me let me see if I can get you in. So, so she did. And this was uh, one of my few talks outside of Southern California. But I uh, flew in there and was on stage with some amazing people, including Michael Greger and Rip Esselstyn. Mm. <laughs> that was that was that was a fun uh, event. Now here here's the here's the most fun part. I don't know if you remember this, Rip, but when the conference was over, of course they're uh, trying to keep their their costs low, and so they were had a volunteer who would drive us to the airport, and our flights were about the same time, and so uh, they said, "Well, can we drive you both to the airport at the same time?" Sure, absolutely. And so we're, we're headed out, but you said, but can I stop at the whole food store on the way? <laughs> and sure, we had time. Well, that, that'd be fun. So you walked into the whole food store. And of course, the, the employees there knew who you were, because at that time you were uh, developing your own food line, line of food products. Is it Engine 2? It was Engine 2 that, that was exclusive to whole food market stores. Yeah. Right. So the, the, the employees knew who you were, and they were very happy to see you. But what surprised me is we're walking down the aisle. This guy looks at you and goes, are you Rip Esselstyn? Oh, oh, can, can I take my picture with you? My wife is going to be so thrilled that I met you. 
And at that time, you know, when you're thrilled, some guy is telling you that his wife is thrilled. You know, this is stardom. You know, at this at this point, I knew what a what a star you were. So that was that was a fun fun part about uh, Indianapolis. I, I don't know. Do you even remember that at all? You know what? It's funny. I I, I don't. I remember. I remember you. I remember watching your talk. I remember, you know, the whole event, but I don't remember going to Whole Foods. I don't. I don't. Oh, this happens to you all the time. I'm sure it's forgettable. You know, you're, uh, you're, you're stardom, but oh, that was that was fun. Let me let me ask this, John. Uh, so you started NewSci, that nonprofit, and then you also started a a food company to help yes. people eat this way to make it easier for people called Little Green Forks. And I can remember we did an event in Pasadena, maybe in 2014 or so, and you treated my whole team to some of the little little green fork uh, entrees, the tamale pies, the lasagnas. So is that business still up and running and what's going on there? It is. And I, I appreciate you mentioning that because that's uh, one of the things I hope to really uh, let your listeners know about is, is mm-hmm. little green forks. It, it started because... Um, I wanted a way to for my family to have this healthy food, and uh, so I hired a chef to come into our my company. I, I run a technology company, electronics and robotics. That's my my day job, and uh, we had a break room, and so I hired a chef to come in and cook meals for my family, and eventually any employees that wanted this kind of food. I and not all of them did, but you know they knew that I'd had a heart attack and this was the way to avoid it. And so some of the employees were interested in this food too. And then as I gave talks with NUSAI, people would say, okay, now you've convinced me that I, I really should eat this way. Where am I going to get food like that? It's very hard at restaurants to get healthy food. You know, you go into the grocery store, once you're outside the produce aisle, there's very little that you can buy that's healthy. And so people would ask, well, where do you get your food? Well, I have the chef down the hall in the break room that cooks it for, for me and my family and my employees. Well, could we buy it? Well, we're an electronics and robotics company. <laughs> we're not a food company. But they kept asking, and my chef said, well, why can't we sell it to them? Well, as you know, in the food business, there's a lot of difficulty getting a food company off the ground. We could no longer cook it in our break room in our kitchen. It wasn't uh, up to all the the codes, you know, stainless steel sinks and floor drains and you know all of this stuff. So uh, we rented some kitchen space and and uh, gradually got this off the ground. Uh, people would understand this material from your dad and McDougal and uh, Colin Campbell and all that, they very much were interested in getting this food. Um, our, our, we started offering, you know, two or three things a day, two or three choices a day, but gradually that grew. At some point, somebody who uh, came to one of my talks said, oh, there's this recipe that you just gotta try. It's uh, from, from Rip's Engine 2 book and it's called the Sweet Potato Bowl. Mm. Mm-hmm. Really? What is that? Okay, so let me let me say a few words about sweet potatoes. Where I grew up in Iowa, we had sweet potatoes once a year. That's it. For Thanksgiving, it would be in a dish with marshmallows on top. I don't know if you've had sweet potatoes with marshmallows on top, but that that was the only sweet potato dish that yeah. we had. Yeah. And 
and it was kind of weird and you know once a year i didn't really get used to it but um so here's this dish from from rip's book sweet potatoes mangoes well that's weird we didn't have those in iowa but you know that's a pretty good food uh, tasty uh bell peppers black beans in this dressing with uh, balsamic vinegar and lime. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and your recipe included avocados as well, which I dearly love. But for what we're trying to do, lower fat, we, we don't use avocados. So we just cut out the avocados. That became our most favorite dish, mm -hmm. uh, most ordered uh, dish for many years. Um, uh, when we later added lasagna that's kind of edged edged it out a little bit but you know the mix of those flavors i don't know where you came up with that rip but that was uh, inspirational it's just uh -huh. those those things go together so well yeah yeah they do they do and I, I i have that that um that dish at least once a week for sure yeah nice now is that on your menu these days it is. Our, our, our menu has uh, probably 60 or 80 different dishes, but we rotate them at any given time. There's uh, 25 to 35 choices. And wow. so um, most of the time, the sweet potato bowl is on there, not all the time. What's, what's the size of your team that makes Little Green Forks uh, run? <laughs> we have three um, cooks, chefs, uh, one full-time and two part-time. And then uh, one part-time person that uh, does the management and buys the materials and uh, another person uh, we hired recently puts the, um, the food in boxes. Now, this, this is an exciting thing, and this is where it, it makes sense for me to talk about this on your podcast. Until recently, all that we could deliver to, this is fresh food, right? We make it and people eat it right away. Um, some things you can freeze, like the lasagna, the actually the sweet potato bowl you can freeze, works yeah. pretty well. But uh, freezing a salad and then trying to eat it later, no. And and we uh, sell a lot of salads, so um, we could only uh, sell to people in the Los Angeles area. But uh, we figured we needed to reach further, and so we started experimenting about a year ago with putting our food in boxes with ice packs and shipping them via FedEx. We use uh, Overnight Express, which is their most expensive uh, part of their service, but you know it gets it there the next day. It wasn't, it, we had some failures at the beginning. You know, a box of yeah. food where something would burst and you'd, you have stuff all over the inside of your box and, you know. Uh, but we, you know, beefed up our packaging, our, uh, uh, sealing things better and putting bubble wrap around and the ice packs, we actually freeze uh, water bottles so that after you get the ice pack, you don't throw it away. You let it uh, melt and then you drink it. Um, so uh, after, you know, maybe six months of experimentation, we, we have where we think for the most part, we can get the food to people intact. There are still problems. You know, when there's a blizzard in the oh, yeah. parts of the country and, you know, FedEx overnight turns out takes six days to get there and the food food is gone by then. But uh, for the most part, we can we can get this healthy food around the country. Uh, we, we did ship you a few things uh, recently. Um, you did. We, I got it two days ago and uh, everything came 
perfectly uh, intact. There was no explosions anywhere. <laughs> I've already been drinking uh, the water bottles. We loved the, the carrot muffins. We toasted those up in the uh, toaster and everybody just gobbled them up. Super moist, delicious like that. That breakfast burrito was humongous. Uh, and uh, my wife and I shared that uh, one morning. The, you also gave us the barbecue chickpea salad and the Southwestern salad. Um, my wife ate, ate both of those for, for lunch, so I didn't get to sample those. Uh, the little green soup, which I think is one of your favorites. And then the lasagna and the tamale pie were just, you know, killer entrees. So, yeah, it was a great, a, a great assortment uh, that you sent us, a great sampling, and uh, really appreciate it. I can't even tell you, you know, being in the food business myself, the the lift that you have have made to get to where you're now shipping you know in all 48 states that's pretty remarkable we've got a couple more things that i want to share with with you and your listeners uh we have uh what we call a 30-day program now um the food business as you know is low margin it is hard to make money it's so easy to lose money we don't have a lot of extra margin to play with but for people that come to us sick with heart disease, diabetes, arthritis, uh, high blood pressure, and they want to quickly fix this. And if they're willing to take a set of measurements, their medical measurements beforehand, and then agree to eat nothing but Little Green Forks food for 30 days, and then take their medical measurements again and share those measurements with us, perhaps with a, a, a story that goes along with that, we're willing to give them a 10% discount for that 30 days worth of food. Mm. So this isn't for people who are already on board. This is for people that are really sick and they need a quick change uh, for the, you know, the publicity that we would get for that success story. We're willing to give uh, a 10% discount on that food. So if you know anybody in that category, please uh, send them our way. The, the other thing that we've done just recently was uh, implemented gift coupons. So uh, you can go to our website and in addition to ordering the sweet potato bowl and the lasagna, you can also buy a gift coupon and hand it to somebody else. So if you have a loved one that uh, you think would, you know, you want to, them to live a long time and make progress in getting rid of their disease or just make it easier for them to eat healthy, um, please uh, buy them a gift coupon. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's it's. It's really remarkable what you've been doing with Little Green Forks. And uh, how long has that been around now? Over 10 years? Over 10 years. Yeah. 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 Just in the last year, we've gone nationwide. But uh, yeah. yeah. So um, I wonder if I could just sh uh, share with you some of my numbers and in, in my life situation now. I, I would love it. And, and then I've got a couple couple questions for you, too. Yeah. So, okay. Go ahead. So, so before my heart attack, I was 205 pounds. I got down to 175 before the heart attack. Now I'm at 160. I'm pretty happy with that. My glucose was 111 at, before the heart at, at worst case, and just before the heart attack, got to 104. It's now 79. Wow. So I'm, I'm not pre-diabetic anymore. My total cholesterol at peak was 238 before my cardiac arrest, 188. It's now last time I measured 128. And let me, and that's no statin drugs? No statin drugs, no drugs. My LDL at worst was 147 before my cardiac arrest, 113, now 65. Gorgeous, gorgeous. 
So pretty happy with that. No meds. Now, now let me ask you this, because a lot of physicians and cardiologists, after you have a, a, a cardiovascular event, will really almost plead you to be on some sort of statin medication. Is that because, uh, so is, is Columbus your cardiologist or, 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 or he, he is. Okay. And, and he pleaded with me, as you said, okay. and, and there is some evidence that, you know, I told you that the statin drugs uh, decrease your death rate by only 9%. That is in primary care. That's before you've had a heart attack. There is some evidence and I've argued with Columbus. I've argued with Kim Williams about this. Uh, there is some evidence that after you've had a heart attack, that statin drugs help you a little bit more. But it's still not huge, and it, it still comes with all these problems like cogn cognition issues and you know, yeah. brain fog. Yeah, John, let me let me let me ask you this. So everything that you've been through and everything that you know now, would you still have that original stent, or no way? I think I would avoid it if I could. Um, I went to a talk once where a guy was talking not about heart issues, but about stroke. And that's basically the same sort of a problem with your arteries um, in, in, in your brain, you know, going up to your neck instead of in your heart. And they had done a study where they said, did instead of uh, when somebody had a stroke, and it's really, really important that they get to the hospital right away and they get some sort of a treatment right away if you're having a stroke. But they found that better than putting in a stent was just giving them massive blood thinners for a short time so that the, the whatever broke loose in their artery, you know, doesn't uh, clog up something downstream and, you know, some part of your brain dies. So it is really important to get that treatment. And the drug is the right thing to do for a limited amount of time. But they found that gave the best survival rate. Now, when it comes to heart disease, the doctors and the you know the, all the a lot of the studies show that um, it, if you've had heart disease, you're going to probably have more heart disease. And uh, the the statistics, and I was just looking this up uh, uh, yesterday to, in preparation for this, uh, of the three or four percent who survived cardiac arrest, those they leave the hospital and within a year, 40% of them are dead. And within two to three years, more than half of them are dead. I'm, I'm at 13 years. Why? Because of the diet. Yeah. Most people that have a heart problem and need a stent or the doctors want to put a stent in, they have a problem that they're abusing the insides of their arteries because they're eating meat and dairy and oils. And most of those people will probably continue to eat meat and dairy and oil. And in that case, the statin drug may help. The stent may help. But if, if you're somebody who is willing to make this dietary change, you don't want that stent because that, that stent causes problems and the drugs cause problems. So yeah. I'm, I'm not an MD. I, this is, does not consist of medical advice, but... But I would, I would not, if I had a choice again, I would not get that yeah. stint. Well, there's some, there's some pretty powerful studies too. And maybe you're aware of, uh, there was one in the Lancet a couple of years ago that actually showed that uh, there was no benefit 
in getting a stent unless it was a, a life-saving emergency situation. And in those cases, yes, but otherwise, you know, really no, no, no benefit. Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned at the top of the podcast, John, how the, there's about a 3% survival rate uh, outside the hospital. If you have a, uh, a heart attack and you basically are, uh, you know, flatlined, right? So you're breathless and pulseless. You know, I've probably, when I was a firefighter for 12 years, I probably made a hundred, at least a hundred people who were in that state like you were. Uh, and of those hundred, we, you know, cause when you bring somebody back to life, you get a Phoenix award, right? After, you know, the, the Phoenix has, 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 has risen and uh, I have three of those. So nice. uh, over a hundred, I've got three. So it's completely in alignment with that 3% uh, survival rate. Yeah. Well, Rip, that is awesome what you do. Um, I went back and found the three firemen who came to save me, me that day. I, I, again, I don't remember them at all because I was out, but I, I tracked them down and and the, the chief, the most experienced guy said, yeah, a lot of firefighters in their whole career will never get a save. Mm -hmm. You got three. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and I was able, I was able to give these three guys their save. <laughs> and I'm, I'm happy that, that that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, we wear, we wear those very proudly. Um, you know, John, it's just, to me, it's, it's really remarkable how, how much you've given back um, with your nonprofit, NUSI, with Little Green Forks, you know, going around, sharing this message. What, what do you think, what is, what's driving you to, to, to do this? Is it just the simple fact that you just want to give back and you feel like you've, you know, got a second chance at life? What, what, what would you say is it's about? Yeah. Um, I, I just, uh, am enjoying my life so much now. Um, maybe even a little more than before my cardiac arrest, cause I realized how close I came to, to dying. You know, not only do I run 5k every day, I go skiing with my son, you know, we go double black diamonds occasionally. Um, I play ping pong. I play in a softball league. Um, not too long ago, I treated myself to an aerobatic flight. You know, as a as a teen, I I became a, a private pilot, uh, but I haven't hadn't flown in decades. And I decided I'm I'm going to try to do this stuff that they always told me not to do. So I got in this plane with this guy who said, "Okay, now we're going to stall it, and now we're stalled. We're going to go into a tailspin. Now we're going to dive down and do a loop and do barrel rolls." And it's like, oh, I, this is fun. <laughs> I, I I almost didn't, and, and my three kids. My oldest just got engaged. I mean, I almost lost this chance because nobody told me that I should be eating plants and not animals. And so that's a, at the face of it, it's a fairly simple thing. Actually getting somebody to change their behavior, as you know, is, is challenging. But but put the, the information out there. If people choose to ignore it, that's on them. But if I knew something and didn't tell somebody and then they died and I could have done something. So I, I love it when somebody comes to me and says, John, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be alive if I hadn't learned something from you years ago. And I, I love that. But that isn't really what drives me. What drives me is the people around me who die because I wasn't able to convince them 
maybe I didn't even talk to them about eating plants. Now, I, so anybody I talk to, sorry, uh, you know, this is going to come in, into the conversation really quickly. And my wife doesn't appreciate this in social situations. You know, we walk up to some strangers and start talking to them. And before you know it, I'm talking about plant-based diet and she's rolling her eyes and stuff. But how, how can you not? You know, um, New Sci, one of the things we do a lot is give out coupons for free books. And, you know, this costs thousands of dollars. And why are we doing that? Well, to give out one book costs about 20 bucks isn't it worth 20 bucks for the potential of saving somebody's life? You know, I, I think so. How can you not do that? Uh, sorry, that, that's, that's where I am. Yeah, well, you've become a born-again plant-based guy after 2009, <laughs> for sure. Through, for and, sure. through, through and through. Um, well, John, I really, really appreciate you coming on the Plant Strong podcast. It's been fantastic to see you again. After several years, you look remarkable, um, you know, way to way to walk the walk, talk the talk. You uh, you epitomize everything that uh, that is plant strong. So thank you for that. Well, Rip, you know, I'm I'm only here alive because of your family, your, your dad and you and, you know, John McDougall, Colin Campbell and all of those guys that if I would have come away from that cardiac arrest without getting this knowledge the chances are extremely high that I would have died 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I, I owe it to you and I love what you're doing and the people around you are doing. I can't express that appreciation enough. So thank you, Rip. Oh, you're, you, you're, you're so welcome and right back at you. All right, John, give me a fist, a plant strong fist bump on the way out. Boom. <laughs> All right. I hope to see you soon. Likewise. Thank you, John, for the work that you're doing to educate and inspire people to eat more plants. Little Green Forks, John's meal delivery service, provides whole food, plant-based, low-fat meals delivered to you if you live in the Los Angeles area or shipped directly to you throughout the continental United States. And John has been kind enough to offer Plant Strong podcast listeners an exclusive discount just enter the code RIP15NEW, that's spelled R-I-P-1-5-N-E-W, on your checkout for $15 off for all new customers. And we'll be sure to put a link in the, the show notes as well. In the meantime, visit more of John's resources at newsci.org, which was packed with information and research. I want to thank you all for listening, and keep in mind, heart disease is a toothless paper tiger that need never exist, especially when you keep it plant strong. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Plant Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, leaving us a positive review and Sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. The Plant Strong podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. 
This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.